Well, this week in uh, the Big 12 basketball scene was filled with overtime action, a lot of drama, and a lot of great hoops. I'm Pete Mundo on Heartland College Sports, covering the Big 12 as always, as we come to you on YouTube, on Facebook Live, and of course, on the podcast and on the radio show. Welcoming on our guy, Matthew Postens, our lead Big 12 basketball writer, as always, if you're on the podcast or on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. All right, uh, Matthew, let's just start off with this. Great week of games. Give me your best game of the week that you watched in the Big 12. And then, well, do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? I'll go first. <laughs> the best game of the Big 12 this week, Kansas State upsetting Baylor, coming back, winning in overtime. K-State hands Baylor its first Big 12 loss. And the Big 12 is just as chaotic as could be. I mean, that that to me is uh, the game of the week. The way that thing went down the stretch. Jerome Tang beating his former boss again. He's now 3-0. and mm-hmm. And Jerome Tang is 10-0 and in overtime games, which is just a ridiculous stat, Matthew. So that was my yeah. game of the week. What about you? Yeah, I mean, that the ending of that game, you know, Baylor kind of helped them out a little bit with Jacoby Walter fouling Arthur Kaluma the way he did. And Kaluma draining that three. Yeah, give them the lead. I mean, if you're going to foul a three-point shooter, you're gonna, you're going to get called for the foul if you run into him. It's just going to happen. You you you've got to find a way to contest without running into the three-point shooter. But for me, it was the other the other overtime game, the Cincinnati TCU game in Cincinnati. It was a game Cincinnati really needed to have because they had you know had the hard luck loss to Texas at home. They had another hard luck loss to Baylor on the road last weekend. So they really needed to find a way to win that game. And, and and they did it because they just, they hung in there late. It was another one of those games where they had a lot of back and forth in the final minute. Cincinnati missed two free throws that would have actually given them the lead. Then TCU missed a free throw that would have given them the win. Yeah. And then in overtime, the guy who missed the two free throws, Dan Skillings Jr. was the guy who hit the go ahead basket in overtime. So just fantastic drama you know, all the way through that game. And I think it was their first win over a ranked team in at home in maybe a decade. I'm not yeah, sure. But it's let's been be honest. A while me. That was an ugly end of regulation between it Cincinnati and TCU. I mean, that was, you noted it, missed free throws, missed shots, fouls, you know, a couple of potential dicey calls. I mean, it, it was a hideous last couple of minutes in Cincinnati, but a great win for the Bearcats to your point. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the the missed foul shots really diminished the fact that they traded threes on the previous two possessions. And then I think Day-Day Thomas hit that just absurd layup where he just seemed out of control and just threw it up there and it went in. And I think that gave them, that tied the game. I think that ended up tying mm-hmm. the game. And then that led to the sequence with the free throws going into overtime. So yeah, kind of an ugly ending in, in regulation, but a game Cincinnati really needed to have when you think about how the standings have just started shaking out now. I agree. Now, thinking and speaking of those standings, I just want to think about this for a second with TCU. So TCU, if you're just like a casual basketball fan, you're going to say, oh, TCU is middle of the pack. They're two and two in the league. I mean, their two losses are one, the controversial ending of that Kansas game. Um, And then you've got an overtime loss on the road at Cincinnati that you had, you know, at your fingertips. Like all these teams, even the teams that are tied for three and one, and there's four of them right now, you look at all these teams. I mean, 
there are coin flip games either way, Matthew, that mm-hmm. literally flip these standings upside down. That's how crazy the Big 12 has been. Yeah. And, you know, when, when I saw the when I covered the TCU Houston game Saturday, Jamie, less than an hour after the game was like, you guys done? Cool. I got to go get ready for Cincinnati. He knew how <laughs> brutal it was going to be. And and, you know, to be fair, he coached at Pitt. They yeah. played Cincinnati back in the Big East days. So he knows how good that program is capable of being. And, you know, there are only two teams right now in this conference that have a better than 500 road record, like in true road games throughout the neutral site stuff, true road games. One's Kansas. Mm-hmm. The other one's Kansas state. Wow. Everybody else is either 500 or below 500 on the road. And, you know, Kelvin Sampson said it best after the game against Texas tech, you got to win your home games and then you just got to find a way to win a few on the road. That is uh, very well said. I want to, I want to stick on uh, some of the games from Wednesday here uh, for us, actually Tuesday for a second. You mentioned Kansas. They blow out Oklahoma State and Stillwater. Uh, it has been just a brutal stretch for the Cowboys. They had all the travel issues last week to Lubbock and then again to Ames on Saturday. They come home. They're clearly overmatched. I, I mean, I think we talked about it a week or two ago. Mike Boynton, I don't know what his future is, Matthew, but this thing could get ugly real fast in Stillwater. I mean, And in this league, I don't see any end in sight. What about you? Yeah, it's it's tough because you've got teams that are, you know, playing four or five, six games in a row against ranked teams right now. And yeah. with brutal games like Cincinnati's in the middle of a brutal stretch to start conference play where they played six straight ranked yep. teams. Yeah. I think Oklahoma State's biggest problem right now is offensive. I, I think they were a good defensive team. Uh they're missing the the rebounding and the intimidation they had inside last year with their two big guys, but they're just not a very good offensive basketball team right now. And and if you can't score in this league, if you can't do it at a high level, if you don't have two or three guys that can really get you, you know, 14, 15, 16 points on a regular basis, you're going to have these kinds of struggles. And when you throw in uh, the fact that he's playing a lot of freshmen, a lot of young guys, uh, albeit great recruits, but still freshmen. So they're still trying to kind of feel their way through college basketball. Uh, it is a recipe for things getting out of control very quickly for this program. And, but I feel like that's been an issue for Mike Boynton, that side of the ball. I mean, they've had uh, some of those dudes on defense that can lock you down, but Mm -hmm. man, they just, the offense has always, I feel like been an issue for this team in now the seventh year of Mike Boynton. They've never been a high caliber offensive team, but they've had high caliber offensive players. One of them is Avery Anderson. He's at TCU right now. And I think he kind of alluded to the fact that he wanted to play at a faster pace in his final year or two in college basketball. Oklahoma State's not a not a fast-paced team. Kansas plays at a fast pace. TCU plays at a fast pace. Oklahoma State plays more at a half-court pace. And if you've got good half-court players that can execute that offense, then then you have the ability to put up points. But yeah. you know, right now, I don't think he has those kind of players. And either he's going to have to start focusing on finding those players that can execute that type of a half court set, or he's going to have to start evolving like Jamie Dixon did a few years ago, going away from, you know, being more of a half court team and going into more of a team that wanted to play at pace, shoot threes, you know, play high level defense if they want to survive this conference. Yeah. um, You're right about that. Uh, Now the last game from Tuesday, BYU rolling Iowa state. Now, listen, I, I have been, questioning how good BYU is. 
BYU fans have wanted to stick it to me a little bit here this week after their big win. But here, here's my thought, Matthew. I've gotten some of that on social media. This is the best win for BYU this season, hands down, obviously. Um, and I think BYU is going to be a much better team at home than on the road. It is going to be tough for teams to go out there, make that trip and play, just like it's going to be tough for BYU to go on the road in the Big 12 and play. Yeah, I'm absolutely. still not totally sold on BYU, but it's a great win. Um, and I will say Iowa State was kind of due after the huge win against Houston last week and then you know having all the issues on Saturday with moving that game around against Oklahoma State. So it felt like Iowa State was due. Baylor needed that one. I'm still not sold on the Cougars just yet. I think what I like about BYU is how – how how spread out everything is. Um, mm. They seem to have a lot of guys that can shoot the basketball from three. They seem to have seven or eight guys that could go off for double figures every night. Um, they had a couple of guys who uh, did not play in that game against Iowa State, including Trevin Nell, which puts that win in perspective for them. I mean, he was one of their top shooters and he didn't play in that game and they still rolled Iowa mm. State. And they did it because they played really good defense in that game. And that's something that, if you're going to survive in this conference, you've got to be able to play great defense. And, you know, I see their defense getting better as the Big 12 season's gone on. And I think as long as they're able to distribute the scoring around and make it difficult for teams to focus on one guy, they have a really nice ability to spread the floor and they get Trevin Nell and their other guys back from injury. Uh, I think they could have a end up having a really good season for them in the Big 12, which I think would be you know, like a nine and nine, 10 and eight, which, you know, right now, I mean, that looks like it could be a four or a five seat in the conference. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I saw they were on the bubble before the game. So listen, I, I think that right now you put them in, but I, I agree with you. He's Matthew Postens. I'm Pete Mundo, heartlandcollegesports.com. We're covering the big 12. Hit that subscribe button. Join us on the podcast on YouTube. We appreciate you being a part of the show, covering everything big 12. Let's go to Wednesday night, Matthew, and let's start off with the ridiculousness that is, and I know you know where I'm going, oh, Rodney Terry, Texas basketball coach, complaining and calling UCF classless for a few of the players going horns down. Now, before you <laughs> chime in on this, before we go anywhere, um, for those who have been watching this show on YouTube, you know that I put the horn sign, my my UT horns logo here on the wall i flipped it the correct way right because i said if ut wins the big 12 in football i'll do horns up but after rodney terry's embarrassing performance for himself and his program we're going back to horns down that's just how it's got to be matthew hold on we're going back to horns down rodney terry did that he should be ashamed of himself he should worry about his own team and he should worry about not blowing 12-point leads against UCF. What say you? It's a bad look, to be sure. So here's what happened, and, and we kind of had to piece it together from video and social media. So some of the UCF players did the horns down after the game was over. Now, they didn't go do it in the faces of the Texas players or in Rodney Terry's face. They did it among themselves yep. in front of their bench to celebrate. As they were turning around and finishing up to get in the handshake line, Terry was there. He saw what was happening and, and he said, you know, classless also dropped an S bomb in mm -hmm. that, you know, if you saw the video, you saw, you heard him say that the players were kind of like, what, 
I mean, here's my thing. This is this is much more on Rodney Terry than it is on UCS players. Yes. In fact, I'm not even really concerned about what they did because everybody's done horns down. Now, yep. I think you should only do it if you're from Oklahoma or Texas A&M, but that's just me being a Texan. You know, <laughs> those are their rivals. They have that right. But, you know. But here, here's a UCF team. These kids are never going to play Texas again in their no, life. No, they're not. No, like, they're not. This was a moment. Top. Uh, top 25 team it's ut it's the only time they're ever going to play them and the kids are having fun they're kids being kids yeah and and the important thing is they're not doing it at texas players correct that's the thing that, that's the thing where rodney terry is completely in the wrong here if, if they were up in the face of texas players that's a whole other thing that might have even led to a fine yes. but the fact that he handled it so poorly right after the game. And frankly, I thought he handled it poorly in the press conference too, talking about how that's not, we conduct ourselves. That's not how we, you know, want our young guys to act. And I'm like, well, that's great for your team. And I don't think Johnny Dawkins wants that either at UCF, but like you said, focus on your team. You just blew a 13 point lead in the second half. You're now one in three. You're not ranked anymore. Mm -hmm. Your, your job is starting to, you know, be on the line now because you, You've got a good contract, but you don't have a great contract. There's not a big buyout in there for Rodney Terry the way they did that deal. No. Um, and you're trying to prove, still trying to prove to the administration that you should be the guy that leads them into the SEC. So he's got far more thing, bigger things to worry about than horns down. I mean, he only got the job because he won that Big 12 tournament. We talked about it last year. If he doesn't win that Big 12 tournament, I'm not convinced he ends up getting the job. So you're right. He's one in three. He's feeling the heat. But I thought he completely embarrassed Texas. I mean, I, I think about... What Steve Sarkeesian said, I think it was before this season, about kind of embracing the hate. Mm -hmm. We're Texas. It's who we are. You just embrace it. You have fun with it. Like You you can't get offended by it. You're at Texas. You know you've got the bullseye on your back. Never mind the AAC school that comes to the Big 12. That's having a heck of an early season run, by the way. BKU, beat Texas. Mm -hmm. They do horns down to their own fans. It's just... I can't get over the pettiness and I didn't listen. None of us really know these coaches that well, but Rodney Terry showed a side of him, Matthew, that I guess I had never really seen. Do you feel like you had seen that before in any capacity? I certainly didn't see it last season Yeah, uh, as, as they were going through that year. And I had not seen it in the early year, uh, early part of this campaign too. And and I'll say this also, if Texas wasn't so anal about this, yeah. and, and let it go, yeah. you know, didn't make it a deal. Eventually, except for Oklahoma and Texas A&M, it would become far less of a problem for them. But because yes. they've made it such an issue over the years, look, if you think UCF's bad, wait till you play LSU, wait till you play Alabama, wait till yeah. you play Florida, wait till you play Georgia. I mean, folks in Arkansas cook crocodiles when they play LSU. So, <laughs> I mean... Uh, if you're, if you, if this bothers you, you're not ready for the sec. Uh, I agree with that. I agree with that. That was a terrible look for Rodney Terry and a terrible look for, uh, just, just the program. He really embarrassed the program. I'm Pete Mundo. He's Matthew Postons. Hit that subscribe button on the show. Uh, we appreciate you being here. That way you never miss an episode. Matthew, when you look at the Houston and, uh, Texas tech game, you know, Houston needed that. I, I think for themselves as much as anything. I mean, if this team had dropped to uh, 
I guess they would have been one in three in league play had they lost this one and losers are three straight. You would have started to question yourself a little bit. So they needed this. Uh, they seemingly controlled this game for the final 30 plus minutes. What do you take out of this thing? Is there concern for Texas Tech right now or not really? Um, I think the one area where I'm worried about Texas Tech is, you know, Pop Isaacs, I think, had 12 points in that game. And but the thing was, Houston controlled him the entire contest. I mean, he didn't get over the 10 point mark until about three or four minutes left in the game. Yeah, they I don't know if they have enough consistent secondary offensive options yet for them to to suffer a game like that from Pop Isaacs. He's he's a number one option. He's the guy that's going to get the ball when they need points. As long as he's scoring in his average, which is 16 a game, they're in good shape. And I think that creates space for everybody else on the floor. But when he's struggling, you know, it was uh, Kerwin Walton uh, Wednesday night for them, dropped in six threes and scored 18 points. But he was the only other player in double figures, and he's not going to score six threes in a, in a game again. <laughs> That's just not going to happen. No. So they've they've got to ensure that they're getting their their secondary op- options offensively, you know, more more involved in in the game. But I mean, they held Tech to 54 points. Houston averages allowing 51 points. I mean, if you watch that game, you got a a lesson in what they do to teams defensively. I mean, I know they. They struggled at Iowa State. They struggled at TCU, but they could have won both of those games. You got a really good example of what they can do to teams defensively. They do it differently. Everybody else, everybody in this conference plays hardcore man-to-man except for UCF. Houston likes to double a lot at the elbow Mm -hmm. up top with two guys and create a little havoc that way. Uh, Iowa State gave you a really good template on how to beat it by moving the ball. Texas Tech wasn't able to do that as much against Houston on Wednesday. Yeah, um, you're absolutely right. Now, the last game of the night that we haven't talked about yet um, is Oklahoma and what they did to West Virginia, a convincing win, and they ran away with this thing in the second half. You know, I don't think we're talking about OU enough. I, I worry about their defense and what I saw against Kansas in Lawrence last weekend. But, man, Matthew, I think this team's going to score with the best of them in the Big 12. This McCollum kid who comes from Siena, every time I watch him, I'm impressed. And the balanced offensive attack from Porter Moser's team, I like. I just worry about the defense, and I'm not going to be impressed by giving up 63 to West Virginia, who we know is going to be at the bottom of this league all season. Yeah, I'll say this about Oklahoma. The the things I do worry about the defense, a, I also worry B about the fact that they, re- you know, Sam Godwin's a good player, but I'm not sure he's the guy that's going to grab you eight, 10 rebounds a game inside. Um, as long as Otega away is the player he was against West Virginia, double, double points and rebounds. As long as he's producing, uh, I think they will be in really good shape. He, I think he scored only two or four points against TCU when they went on the road last week. He can't have games like that. He's going to have to be, their consistent primary or secondary option. He certainly needs to be their primary option in the front court. But as long as he and McCollum uh, are playing well, I think Oklahoma is going to play well as well. But, you know, their their team defense is a little lacking right now. If you look Absolutely. at just the first four games in Big 12 play, that that's something that can be improved. You can add things like, you know, you can run some traps. You can maybe run some press. You can maybe you know, fold into a zone that UCF has won both of their games with Kansas and Texas by going into a zone and slowing the game down and forcing both of those teams to do things they didn't want to do, making them force shots, making them go passive on offense. That's something Porter Moser could try. I know he's not a big zone guy, 
but you use it for a few possessions, you change the pace of the game a little bit, and maybe it helps your man defense as the game goes on. Matthew Postens is uh, joining us here. Let's look to Saturday, Matthew. I mean, so many great games. Um, the best game of the day. I mean, I'll. it's hard to pick. I don't think there's an obvious one. I think you can make the case for four or five of these games. You got the list in front of you here? Yeah, I do. I do. All right. You want me to? You want, me to, you want me to go first? Yeah, you go first. All right. I think the game of the week is BYU at Texas Tech. I want to see BYU coming off that Iowa State game. I want to see BYU on the road in a tough environment in Lubbock. Mm -hmm. And I want to see Texas Tech, after their blowout loss to Houston, what exactly they bounce back with, like you noted, on the offensive side in particular. I think it can be a high-scoring game. Uh, but I think this team, both this game for both of these teams has a surprising amount of meaning as we go through the early part of the Big 12 schedule. All right, now it's you. What's the best game on Saturday? I'm tempted to pick Iowa State TCU just because it's a battle of ranked teams, but I'm I'm really curious about the Oklahoma-Cincinnati game. Games in Cincinnati, they're coming off the win over TCU. They storm the court. You know, big win for them beating a ranked team at home. Oklahoma hasn't looked great on the road in the Big 12 so far. Um, you know, lost that game to TCU, lost to Kansas. Um, they're coming off that nice win over West Virginia. But as you you intimated, West Virginia is not the best team in the conference. Uh, they're not, uh, they're not, not that they're not challenging, but you know, this is going to be a bigger challenge for Oklahoma. They if they want to be in the top half of the conference by the end of the season, they have to prove they can win a few games on the road. And Cincinnati is a team that I think they match up pretty well with, except for the front court. Cincinnati's got a really good front court. They've got some great guys inside. Um, and, and that's where I think they can give Oklahoma some real trouble. So that's the game that I'm really intrigued by to see if, if Oklahoma can sustain the momentum they built against West Virginia, or if Cincinnati can sustain that momentum and pick up a second ranked win at home. And maybe that gets them in the top 25 next week. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, Baylor, Texas, you look at that game, that kicks off the day at 11 a.m. Eastern or 11 a.m. Central on uh, ESPN. We know the Texas drama coming off of what happened this week. Uh, both these teams are coming off of losses. Uh, you know, Baylor doesn't need this game, but suddenly Baylor loses two straight and you start to question what the heck's going on there. Texas feels like it has its back against the wall. So you got storylines there. You have a UCF team fresh off that win against Texas going to Houston an old AAC matchup, but suddenly, heck, I don't know about you, Matthew, but I don't think any of us had both of these teams two and two going into this matchup before conference play started. It just goes to show you how insane this league has been, and it's only mm -hmm. been two weeks of it. Yeah, it's it, it's so hard to build momentum now in this conference. The way, you know, it just, you know, it just, talked about West Virginia, but I mean, even though they, they look like the team that's probably going to bring up the rear in the conference, they're going to be challenging two teams, especially when they get Jesse Edwards back if that, yeah. if that happens later this season. But because everybody's so good, because everybody has talent and everybody understands how difficult this conference is, it's really difficult to build momentum once you've win a, won a game. But it's also, to me, it's not hard to bounce back if you lose a game because you know you've got a game coming up in a few days and it's not like you're going to play a, a, a mid-major team. You're going to play a team that you know is at your level mm -hmm. and you know you have to bring your A game to beat them. And it, it 
in a sense, it kind of gears you up for that game, even though you're coming off a loss. So, you know, we, we haven't seen big losing streaks so far, but we, then again, we haven't seen big winning streaks so far, aside from the three and O start that Texas tech had. Yeah. Well, it is going to be a heck of a Saturday. Can't wait. Um, this has been the most fun I think I've had just watching the first two weeks of conference play. It's been unbelievable. And Matthew, you'll be writing about it. Uh, you'll be covering it. And we are in for a great Saturday. So make sure that you are uh, subscribed to this show, uh, of course, whether it's podcasts, YouTube, whatever it might be. And of course, go to the website, sign up for the free message boards as well. We've got a lot of interaction on there and great way to interact with uh, all the guys on the site when we're not doing things like this. So, Matthew, enjoy the games. I know you're going to be all over it, and uh, we'll be following you on social media at M Poston. So, good stuff, man. Always appreciate the time. All right. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate it. All right. We appreciate you guys, and uh, we'll be talking to you soon here on HeartlandCollegeSports.com. See you later.